everyone, and welcome to episode 173 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and this week, we have a bit of a twist. Not only is Richard here, like usual, how's it going, Richard? Hey, Seth, what's going on? Uh, not much. We have a ton to talk about, but we also have a super special guest today in Chris Van Meter. How's it going, Chris? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, so if you don't know Chris, I think, well, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit, Chris, and what you're up to in the magic world these days? Sure. Well, I'm better known for my time spent at StarCityGames.com, uh, doing the Versus video series with Brian Brondewin and beating the tail off of people with Green Red and Jun Monsters uh, during that era. But now I'm out in Seattle. I work for Card Kingdom. I'm the online product and purchasing manager, which is a mouthful, but it basically lets me do some really cool things working on the custom products that we make here, like battle decks and things of that nature. I get to design them, and I'm playing Magic in my free time like always. Uh, that sounds pretty fun. It's got to be pretty cool to be the person that gets to make the battle decks and all that stuff. It sounds like a really neat job. Yeah, it's really awesome, because like... The idea behind Battle Decks is that there are all these cards in Magic that are really fun and really cool, but they're just worse than the best cards, and the best cards kind of take over the competitive scene. But these other cards still deserve some love, so we've created a format all of our own where we cultivate the deck list, test everything within its own universe, and you know something like uh, Trail of Evidence and Gear per Ether Grid might not have been possible when they were in Standard, but when you can play them in a casual deck, tapping clues to ping, ping things is pretty fun. Uh, so this week, we have a ton to talk about, like literally so much stuff. We had announcement day on Friday, which is where Wizards kind of laid out what's happening for the next six months or a year as far as products are concerned. So we have a million new products. We have the fall set to talk about, some supplemental products, some spoiler news, and then we have literal spoilers from Battle Bond, which kicked off today, and then of course, Fish Mail. So we're going to start working our way through this list. First off, we got to start with the biggest news. We found out what the fall set is and actually what the next year of standard sets. We're staying here for three sets in a row, and that is the return of Return of Ravnica. Third time going to Ravnica, Guilds of Ravnica this fall, then Ravnica Allegiance this winter, and a yet-to-be-named third set in the springtime. So what is your take on our latest Return to Ravnica? Uh, it's good. Uh, I don't know. Ravnica has always been a good format. This is our third time back. I'm not excited as some other people are because, I don't know, the appeal of guilds has kind of gone away to me. Like, we have two color pairings in almost every set now, but the chance or potential for Shocklands in Standard is what gets me going. But otherwise, uh, it's just a good set. Just cross my fingers. It's more... Like, I don't know, Shadows Over Innistrad rather than Battle for Zendikar. But I think they've learned, so it's probably going to be good. And I'm looking forward to playing five-color decks in Standard. Remember five-color Thragtusk? Yeah, that's Ravnica. I'm a big fan of Ravnica in general. Uh, what I'm not a fan of is to change the storytelling and block structure down to one-set blocks and then lock us into this one story setting for three complete sets. I'm not really too hip on that, but I am excited for what could be the end of the Gatewatch and this final clash with Nicol Bolas in the third set, though. 
Yeah, they did kind of hype that a little bit, that this is the culmination of the Oath of the Gatewatch story that's been going since, I guess, Battle for Zendikar is really when it kicked off. So it's been a long time that we've been working our way through this storyline. So that's definitely exciting. I do also think it's a little weird, that because one of the things they said as far as changing the block structure was, we finally figured it out. It's not that small sets is the problem, because we had some really bad, like, Dragon's Maze is notoriously bad, and there were some other ones, but they said, we thought it was small sets, but it's not small sets. What it actually was is the third sets. That's the problem. We gotta get rid of these third sets. And then, only look a year later, they're like, haha, let's do three <laughs> sets of Ravnica. Like, oh my god, how did you change your mind so quickly? But I'm super excited, because I love multicolor sets. I loved original Ravnica. That's around the time when I first started playing Magic. So I kind of fondly remember it, and it's nostalgic for me. And then I like the return to Ravnica. It was a solid standard format, had a lot of powerful, cool cards. So I'm really excited for a return to that setting. We'll see how it turns out as far as the three set thing. Hopefully it's all right. What do you think about the storyline? So they kind of, we kind of mentioned that they're wrapping up this Gatewatch storyline. Did you take that to mean that starting next, I guess it'll be the core set or whatever, but starting the middle of next year, next summer, next fall, we're going to have a brand new storyline, or is it going to be more like, oh, they fought Nicole Bolas, and now the Gatewatch is doing something else? Are we really going to move past the Gatewatch into something brand new? I hope so. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm about tired of it, although I think it's exciting that, like, Teferi is part of it now, but I would really like for this eon-spanning battle with Nicole Bolas to come to an end, and for us to figure out exactly what his scheme is. So it's possible that Bolas is still alive at the end of it all and that the members of the Gatewatch are still alive or together at some point, but hopefully we can figure out why he was doing all of this and what what is the end baddie because it can't be Nicol Bolas. We, we've all seen these kinds of movies. Like it's never the bad guy that's in your face. There's always something else looming behind the scenes, whether it's Phyrexian somewhere why is Emrakul who wanted to go hang out at the moon? Who knows? But I would like to figure out like what what is going on? What's the big baddie? Because Nicol Bolas is kind of mysterious and all, but I want something else. So Surprise! Bolas- it's Yagmoth. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Nic- Nicol Bolas is just like those those little bosses in the Mario castles for the first like six or seven levels, and then you finally get to real Bowser in the the last castle. Yeah, like who's the Thanos here? Like who is, who, who's the one pulling the strings behind the scene? I want them to come down and take things into their own hands. See, that would imply the end of the magic story, which I doubt they're going to say, hey, no more magic story, we're just going to release miscellaneous cards. So I think they're just going to string it on forever. We're going to get another baddie. And it, could like... be the, it could be the end of this story, though. Like, the multiverse is just, like, ever-expanding, right? But so... do you think they'll kill the planeswalkers off? Oh new, no! I mean, I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that they'll still be alive, but they can go somewhere while we focus on somebody else. I think. I think at least one has to die. Like, we've seen Planeswalkers die before. Elspeth has died, and we've had that storyline before. So I think someone has to die. I don't know which of the Gatewatch members it'll be. Probably the easiest one would be, like, maybe Teferi, since it's the newest one, and you don't get Teferi cards every set like you do for some of the other Gatewatch members. But what do you think? Will at least one of the Gatewatch Planeswalkers die in this epic battle? I think I think they've, they've been hinting at Gideon... Uh, kick in the bucket since Amonkhet. So let's say they do get rid of Gideon. Who's our new white planeswalker? Do you think, like, 
a brand new white planeswalker is kind of the staple planeswalker that keeps coming around or could Elspeth rise from the grave? I always liked Elspeth. A Johnny, I guess is white-ish. Maybe a Johnny fills that role. Could be that there could also just be like somebody on Ravnica that's white aligned that steps up and takes over. Yeah, I think the only reason for killing a planeswalker is to make new planeswalkers. So I assume they'll give us a new planeswalker. Yeah, how many more variations of Gideon can we get, though? Like, the planeswalkers just all feel the same. Do they just have, like, a Gideon dartboard where they just, like, throw three darts to pick the three abilities every time they make a new Gideon? I think they just pick the power and toughness and keep the same abilities. Yeah, vehicles is new hotness, so the next planeswalker animates into a vehicle that can't be destroyed in combat. Oh, a self-driving car. (laughs) Yes. So... A uh, couple, one other question about Ravnica before we mil- uh, move on to the the rest of our spoilers and previews. So, uh, are you expecting any sweet reprints? I know we mentioned Shocklands. We have two full blocks of Abrupt Decays and Dark Confidants in all these cards. Are we going to see sweet reprints, or is Wizards going to just like give us Shocklands and then it's going to be all new stuff? So I don't, I don't know if they can, if they, if they'll do Shocklands again. There's a lot of, th- there's a lot of pros and cons for it. But having Shocklands and Buddylands in the same standard format that we just did last time we were in Ravnica seems kind of repetitive, um, and it would give them a chance to do something new or something cool to kind of like tell this story of the progression of Ravnica, because that's really what the this third trip is about, is what's happening now, and Nicol Bolas is coming with his plan, so we kind of have to, to solve that. Plus, uh, the art director in the last... Uh, like the reveal stream for it talked about how a lot of the art and thematics are showing the progression of the seasons in Ravnica. So I'm expecting to see things be changed, and I hope that there aren't Shocklands. Uh, Personally, I would like to see Domri Raid or like some variation of Domri Raid um, for the Gruul Clan, since that's who I personally align with. Um, But the last time we were in Ravnica, we had all these super powerful, iconic spells for these uh, guilds, right? Like... Uh, Sphinx's Revelation, Detention Sphere, Abrupt Decay, Deathrite Shaman, Dreadbore, all these types of cards might just be too good in standard with how, how everything has changed. So I don't really know what we could reprint other than Shocklands that people would be excited for. Yeah, there's a lot of modern staples in Ravnica and Return to Ravnica. If they chose this period to power down standard, it would be a bad move. I think they need to keep the power level that we've known to come in love from Ravnica. So I'm hoping for just a lot of powerful cards that you'll see in Modern. Yeah, I mean, I think it's got to be fairly high power just because I feel like Wizards normally feels like they can go a little further with multicolor sets. Like, when the the opportunity cost is you have to have two or three colors of mana to cast your card, you can kind of push the power level a little more. Hopefully they don't push it to, like, Deathrite Shaman levels. There were definitely some cards. Even under modern design, you wouldn't see probably Supreme Verdict. I think that would be considered too good for standard, but I'm hoping that they do do some pretty powerful stuff, and I think they will. I'll be disappointed if it's not fairly powerful. Hey, they just printed a lot of more elves in standard. They're going to come around to Deathrite Shaman and put them back in standard as well. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, one card that I kind of have my eye on that I, w- I don't want to say is sure to be in it, but I would be surprised if it isn't, would be Scavenging News. I think that card is a perfect fit for uh, almost any standard format, and it really fits the Golgari theme. Uh, so I could definitely see Scavenging News in whichever one of the two sets has Golgari in it. 
Oh, uh, that's that's a good call. I could see that as well. What about Dark Confidant? Is Dark Confidant just too good? We've had some pretty close to Dark Confidant cards. Could they actually put it in standard? Uh, too many printings already. I don't know uh, why they would want to. I think it would be too good. Well, the other bit of Ravnica news we got is, along with the set, they're releasing what they're calling guild kits, which are kind of pre-con decks, I guess, 60-card pre-cons, but they align with the guilds in specific. So there's five with guilds of Ravnica featuring the five guilds from that set, then there's five more with Ravnica Allegiance, which features the guild from that set, and those decks will feature cards from all three Ravnica blocks. So kind of like the highlights of the guild from all three... Uh, versions of the Ravnica block. So any thoughts or feelings on this new pre-con product? There's just like Challenger decks or Planeswalker decks or something. We don't know what the power level is, but they're, I'm guessing, geared towards new players and they just give you a flavor of the guild. So nothing too interesting, I think. So I actually really, really like them. And that's not just because it sounds like something that I would want to try and make for Card Kingdom. Um, But like the two color guild alignments from a non-competitive magic perspective is one of the best things that ever happened to magic in terms of allowing people to uh, resonate with, align themselves with, and feel like they're a part of something in the game. So people, you know, I'm Azorius, you know, these are the, their values are the same as my values. Like that type of design and creative structure, I think is awesome and perfect. And I love when they build on it. Um, the one thing that I'm curious to see is what cards are in these decks. They're, they won't be standard legal because they're going to have cards from the previous uh, Ravnica trips. What if each each of them have the Shocklands in it? Like Wizards with the, the latest batch of Challenger decks have shown us that you know they're not going to take into consideration the secondary market and they're just going to jam cards that they feel people will like into these decks. Um, that seems to be the philosophy that Gavin has, I wouldn't be surprised if, if these have the Shocklands in it. They're not standard legal, but it gives us another reprinting of it. Ooh. Hmm. I would be... I I could see that happening, but I would be pretty shocked, I guess, if they were <laughs> if they were four ofs. I could definitely see them putting, like, one of each shock along with the right guild, but a whole playset, that's... Well, I guess it depends on the price of the deck, too. If they're selling these for, like, 20 bucks, like a Planeswalker deck, or 15 bucks, whatever the Planeswalker decks are, it seems like a whole playset might be a stretch, even for Gavin. <laughs> sure, I mean, even if it's just one or two, right? Like, that puts more of them out there, gives people access to them. Um, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to see it happen. I think that would be great. I expect that they'll probably be featuring, like... I'm not as, I'm not good with the lore, but like the guild leaders or whatever, like the past Ravnica sets, you had the legends for each uh each guild, and then you had like secondary legends, the maze runners or whatever. So I expect that they'll be themed around something like that and then uh filling around it. But I think Shocklands would be awesome. More supply of those for modern players and even just casual players for commander and stuff would be would be great. They're not silly expensive right now. They're like ten to twenty bucks, but cheaper is better when it comes to building mana bases well let's move on to our next product uh, from announcement day and that is the first global series deck which is coming out in the end of june so this is basically the chinese version of planeswalker decks and they come complete with some chinese planeswalkers and i'm gonna butcher the names mu yanling and zhang young 
something something along those lines uh but anyway uh the interesting part of these is they are standard legal but only in china they are released in english they're released everywhere but you can't play them in your standard decks outside of china so what do you think of the global series decks all right, let's go over the cards before we get outraged that we can't play them in standard <laughs> over here. So Mu Yanling, four blue blue, legendary planeswalker, uh, starts with five loyalty. So plus two, target creature can't be blocked this turn. Minus three, draw two cards. Minus ten, tap all creatures your opponents control. You take an extra turn. And Jang Yanggu is four in the green, four loyalty. Plus one, target creature gets plus two, Plus two until end of turn. Minus one. If you don't control a creature named Mowu, create a legendary 3-3 green hound creature token named Mowu. Minus five. Until end of turn, target creature gains trample and plus X plus X, where X is the number of lands you control. So, I think the Planeswalker deck Planeswalkers. <laughs> Not sure why we needed to keep them, you know, only standard legal in China. I, my guess is it's not a power level thing. My guess is it's to create some kind of exclusivity or, uh, you know, make Chinese players feel like, you know, it's a product just for them and it's special to them or something like that. So that is my guess because this product is made towards, you know, the emerging Chinese magic market. So my guess it's that because I don't think I'm going to be trying to jam these guys into, you know, my standard deck or anything. You know, they're, they're just planeswalker deck planeswalkers. I agree. It still looks weird. I I mean, I think it goes both ways. I under I guess I understand it, and these cards likely aren't relevant for standard anyway. Wizards has had a pretty good track record of keeping Planeswalker deck Planeswalkers not good enough for standard, but it still adds this like unnecessary complexity. Like if they're not good enough for standard anyway then why not just make them legal anyway? Uh, and then you have the weird, like, are they legal in Brawl? Does anyone even know if they're legal in Brawl or not? Which is, like, tied to standard. That's the thing, right? I certainly agree, and it reminds me of the situation that happened when they banned Stoneforge Mystic and Standard, but had it in one of the event decks, and you could play Stoneforge Mystic and Standard, but only if you played the exact 75 from, from the event deck. Like, why have all of these hoops for these types of cards? Um, like, if you want, like, I don't know. It just it, it does just strike me as weird, and uh, I'm not sure what the correct solution is, but it feels like it should just be the same across the board no matter what. Yeah, and it should be the same across all formats. Like, maybe, you know, only use this in China, you know, and not in Legacy Vintage Commander elsewhere. So it's weird that they split it geographically and throughout the formats, too. So, uh, confusing. The other thing people brought up that makes it even more confusing is, uh, is it, like, if in the tournament seed, is it by where the tournament's located? Like, what if you're a Chinese player going to a European or US GP? Or what if you're, like, a European player going to a Chinese GP? Like, <laughs> how do you know if you can play these cards or not? <laughs> also, like, is Hong Kong technically part of China? That's the other thing. Oh, like, now, so, like, now we're getting political lines. Kong? Yeah, there, there's all kinds of complications with this. So good luck, wizards. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's let's move. The good news is I don't think either of these cards are playable. So yeah, it, it would be a lot more troubling if it was a Lyra or a Karn or something. It'd be way more exciting if they were good. That's for uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, well, speaking of kind of weird ways of releasing cards, another thing confirmed on Announcement Day is Wizards is going to be continuing their exclusive spoilers, uh, the Biobox promos, with Firesong and Sunspeaker being the most recent example. So a mechanically unique card, I guess we would say, that is kind of part of the set, but not actually released in the booster packs of the set. So uh, what are your thoughts on this? I know... The community seemed to dislike it. Personally, I disliked it. Uh, I know store owners really liked it because they seem to think that it helps sell product. Whether or not that is because of this promo or because Wizards just like knocked it out of the park with Dominaria, I'm not sure what the correlation is there. But what are your thoughts on this continuing for the foreseeable future, I think was the quote from the article. Uh, we we goofed. We goofed. We Dominaria was so good. Everyone just bought Dominaria, and Wizards was like, "Wow, you know, Fire Song, Fire Song, and Sunspeaker <laughs> led too many pre-sales of boxes. So let's keep doing it." And basically, it's, that's what it's happened. Definitely that, and not Karn, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's basically what ha- they sold so many boxes of Dominaria. They're like, "Okay, we'll just keep doing it." And everyone here complaining went out and pre-ordered boxes anyway to get the promos. So uh, lesson is vote with your wallet, I guess. Like I. I, I don't know. We we kind of just fed them the data they wanted to see, so they're going to keep doing it. So I, I think that the – personally, I like it. I think it's a cool thing. Um, it's a way to get people physically into their local game stores to get to get the cards, which is something that becomes harder and harder the easier it is and cheaper it is to get things online. So when you uh, – for the buy box promos, they're only available for when you go in and physically get – your boxes. So if you're like buying your boxes at a big discount online and having them shipped to you, then you're going to miss out on this. So it is getting people physically into the stores, which is a huge boon. I can see the complaint where it's like, you know, what if the card ends up being like super good and it spikes in price and there's this, this price price issue, yada, yada, yada. I think that's a pretty big what if. I have to imagine play design has a hand in the design of these cards. I think we're going to see them along the same lines as Fire Sun and, and Sunspeaker. They'll be like fringe good and commander or brawl, but that's likely to be about it. Um, and it's just another something cool that wizards can do to help physically get people into the stores, which helps helps the game grow. I think it's great that they're supporting store uh, the stores. I really like that aspect of the promo. I feel like the stores have kind of at least like a year ago where there's a lot of local game stores talking about how they felt like they weren't getting that much support and we saw more and more products going into Walmarts and Targets like master sets and local game stores were freaking out a little bit so I do really like that this helps support local game stores which I think is really important I still don't just I don't completely trust that wizards will never miss high with one of these and have a disaster on their hands I hope that that never happens but we've definitely seen them miss high with other cards where they're i feel like these cards incentivize wizards they got to make them good enough that people will buy a box to get them like if it's just an unplayable card then there's not really a motivation to go buy a box potentially for a few more bucks from your local game store compared to getting the absolute cheapest price off ebay or amazon or whatever but they got to be so they got to be good enough to sell boxes but bad enough to not actually break into standard in any meaningful way and i feel like that's a kind of a tight rope to walk down for the most part so i'm a little nervous about the long term but i do like as chris mentioned that it is supporting stores which is a good thing for the game overall i wouldn't be surprised just to see them all be six or seven mana legends that would that would help so if watsy wants to continue doing this they kind of need to whip stores into shape somehow because you hear a lot of stories about 
you know, people order a box of Dominaria and they're unsure of whether or not they're getting a Fire Song and Sunspeaker because of limited supply. And that's a big swing because if the card is 10 bucks, your box just costs $10 more or less. And then of course you have the shady stores that just simply say they run out of these and then sell them on eBay. So as long as Wizards can get a handle on this and, you know, have it be quote unquote fair to the players on, you know, their expectations how they get these cards, uh, it could work out. One easy solution, and I don't know the economics behind it, but I would kind of like to see Wizards find a way to put these underneath the plastic wrapper and directly in the box so you're not relying on local game stores to do the right thing and not sell them on eBay, and you're not worrying about how many there are. Just like for the first print run or something, literally insert them inside the packaging on the box. Yeah, there, there are a lot of uh, TCGs that use the, the a box topper method like that. I know that was one of the cool, one of the things that I really liked uh, when I was playing Kaijudo, another Wizards game, was you, know, you always got a box topper that was a foil of the specific rarity of a card that was in that set. So, I mean, they could easily just do that with these promos. Yeah, I, I would like to see that. I think that could be a good solution to that potential problem. Anyway, enough of Ravnica, let's talk some Battlebond spoilers. So, Battlebond is this new two-headed giant-slash-multiplayer-focused supplemental set. It comes in boosters, kind of like in the Conspiracy slot, I guess, is where this kind of falls. So, we have a bunch of new cards. Spoilers officially started today. So, uh, Richard, why don't you lead us through the cards from this set. Oh, I should mention as well, only legal in Commander, Legacy, and Vintage. So as we're talking about these cards, they are not legal in Standard, they are not legal in Modern. So take it away, Richard. Give us some cards. All right, so on announcement day, they gave us uh, a pair of cards from Battlebond featuring the new mechanic, Partner With. So you have Peer, Imaginative Rascal, 2 and a green, 1-1, one, one, uh, Legendary creature, partner with imaginary friend. So what partner with means is basically when you cast this card, uh, target player can search their library for the, the other partner, reveal it, and put it in their hand. And also, uh, the two cards can be co-commanders. So similar to the partner mechanic in the last commander product, except you can't partner with anyone, you have to partner with your specific partner. Uh, so back to Peer. Uh, if one or more counters would be put on a permanent your team controls that many plus one of each of those kind of counters are put on that permanent instead that's a lot of words to say add an extra counter <laughs> toothy imaginary friend uh pierce partner three and a blue one one legendary creature illusion whenever you draw a card put a plus one plus one counter on toothy whenever toothy leaves the battlefield draw a card for each plus one plus one counter on it so partner with what do you guys think uh, I think that it is really sweet for multiplayer commander, uh, and I'm a big two-headed giant fan myself, so I am going to enjoy playing this in uh, two-headed giant, but I really wish that these cards were legal. Like, I want to be able to play this in Brawl with the rest of the standard format. It would be so much fun. Yeah. Do you think they would have ratted that in? Because it seems perfect <laughs> for that. <laughs> likely not just because they want to keep like what's what's legal to be pretty simple um but i think that it's going to end up like this type of mechanic is going to end up being a pretty big hit for the casual and commander players especially if you frequently play multiplayer 
Yeah, I think this is going to be very popular as commanders. Uh, adding extra counters to things is already very popular. The mechanic works... Uh, I think this might even be foreshadowing Ravnica a little bit, but if you look back at Simic through both Ravnicas, they have mechanics that deal with putting counters on your stuff. That's kind of what uh, Simic does. So I feel like we're kind of like leading into that with Ravnica returning. You can use your new Ravnica cards to build like your commander deck with these as your commanders. I also really really like that they didn't just use partner because I think partner is pretty overpowered with just the small number that we have and if we just keep printing things with partner eventually just everyone's always going to have two commanders and they're going to interact in really powerful ways and I think that's probably unhealthy so I like that they are allowing you to have two commanders but in a way that doesn't just blatantly break the format by matching it up with any other partner. Yeah, cue, cue the cries for Arata now. Now it makes a lot of sense to Arata, like, say, the brothers Yamazaki or uh, Bruno and Gisela to be partnered with the other one. Uh, so mm-hmm. they can't just partner with anyone, but they can partner with their actual partners. They should just do that. Yeah, they should. Another interesting point is, uh, mechanic-wise, is uh, in the text for partner with, um, it just says target player may put... X card into their hand from their library. It doesn't. It doesn't say search or reveal. It's just putting it into their hand. So I, I'm not sure if they're going to be if they're going to be be moving towards that uh, that that verbiage or what it actually means. Yeah, they actually said it's a standard search and reveal that the reminder text okay. is just shortened for hmm. uh, to keep the card, I guess, less verbose. But they they said in the article that it's a normal search and reveal. I guess okay. the cards are pretty wordy as it is, so maybe they were just running out of room for reminder text. <laughs> yeah. Someone mentioned, I don't know if this is even legit, but they wanted to uh, Green Sun Zenith for this in Legacy. <laughs> I, I don't know if it, you would actually even try to do that, but it is kind of cool that you could tutor up here that way and get Toothy as a bonus. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, we have another pair of partners. They're Planeswalkers. Uh, so Will Kenrith and Rowan Kenrith. So Will is four blue-blue, starts with four loyalty, legendary planeswalker, plus two until your next turn. Up to two target creatures, each have their base power and toughness, uh, become zero-three and lose all abilities. Target creature, or minus two, target creature, or target player draws two cards. Until your next turn, instant sorceries and planeswalker spells... Uh, that player cast costs two less to cast. Minus eight, target player gets an emblem with whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, copy it, you may choose new targets for that copy. Partner with Rowan, Will can be your commander. And then Rowan here is also six converted mana cost, so four red red, four starting loyalty, plus two, during target player's next turn, each creature that player control attacks uh, controls attacks of able minus two Rowan deals three damage to each tapped creature target player controls minus eight target player gets an emblem whenever you activate an ability that isn't a mana ability copy it you may choose new targets partner with will Rowan can be your commander isn't will like the worst planeswalker name give us a give us a more <laughs> interesting name than will <laughs> what's wrong with will will and grace Room it's just, he, he's he, he, he's Bill Kenrith. <laughs> Billy Kenrith. Uh, so are what do you think of these cards? I mean, obviously, again, we're talking a lot about multiplayer commander. It seems like, apart from Two at a Giant, that's where this set is focused. Are these going to be popular commanders? They cost a lot. 
They they do cost. Mm, that they might, do cost a lot. But that minus that, two that on is Will certainly true. is crazy. Yeah. Will seems way better than Rowan. <laughs> I mean, give you two cards and you get two two off every spell you cast next turn. Like, oh. well, and you and you can cast Rowan for four, right? So you cast Will first, draw cards, cast your other your other Planeswalker Commander for cheaper. Mm-hmm. That seems that's true. That's kind of so ten mana gets you both of them basically. They I don't, don't know. They don't really protect each other, though. I I, I guess the plus two kind of protects, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It's a lot of value. For six mana, you get two Planeswalkers. You get to pump up your partner. Uh, even if they're a bit overcosted, I, I think the value of just getting free cards here is, is going to be worth it. I think they will see play somewhere, uh, you know, in Two-Headed Giant, in Battle Bond format, obviously, and also Commander. I think oh, people yeah. will try out this this... This is something we've never seen before. Just getting a free Planeswalker off your Planeswalker and then helping your, your buddy out on their next turn uh, to do crazy things. So the, the one interesting aspect uh, that we haven't mentioned that Gavin talked about in the Announcement Day video is that any of the legendary creatures that have partner, the other partner will also appear in the same pack. Ooh. Oh, I, I heard that. I had a question about that, and I don't know if either of you know the answer. Let's say you're drafting, because he's come in packs, so you can't play limited with it. Do you get to take both of them, or do you have to pass one of the partners if you open it in draft? You don't get to take take both. Reason being, his partner is targeted. So if you get, like, if I take Will, and then my partner takes Rowan, like, we can make each other be able to search when we play one. Ah. But in, in order to make sure that partner isn't just like well i have this card with partner but like the other one nobody got in 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 our draft so it just it does nothing they will both show up in each pack where one of them is there and just to be clear partner with is the mechanic we were talking about before so if you are playing these not as your commander and you cast let's say will you get to tutor for rowan out of your library yeah okay well you, you can make target player tutor for Rowan. so you can make your so teammate I, do that as well or your non-teammate if you yeah. if you wanted to for some reason yeah, make your opponent draw a card <laughs> yeah. to get through in staring bridge yeah yeah, yeah, why don't you take it? <laughs> yeah target I mean, player so any player it's it's kind of cool the political aspects. That's one of the things I like about this set for multiplayer. Is while these mechanics work really well for two headed giant in specific, it does lead to interesting things. Like I could imagine a scenario in a four player game. You could be like, hey, you got Rowan in your deck here. I will let you tutor that up if you wipe out so and so's creatures or whatever with a negative two. So exactly. So I really like what those type of mechanics do to Commander. They're just so on point for what the format should be about. Exactly. Uh, and this, this, this. I know it's not specifically designed for this, but this seems like a real sweet three v three draft drafting set already, because like you're still considered teammates even if you're not playing like a two headed giant in the game, um, which could be really really fun too. All right, next mechanic. So we'll go over the the new mechanics we have in the set. So partner with we just covered. Assist is the next mechanic. So we'll show it off with play of the game. Did Overwatch copyright that? I don't know. That seems a little sketchy. <laughs> six white, white, sorcery, assist. Another player can pay up to six of the spell's cost. Exile all non-land permanents. 
I'm curious wow. how this works. This is the craziest thing ever. Like, <laughs> if you're playing this in Commander, do you just be like, hey, I got this in my hand. Does anyone want to... I don't have enough mana. Does anyone want to pay some of this for me? Like, how does this actually play in, like, a four-player Commander game? Basically. Yeah, I think you would just, you would just say, I'm going to, you know, I want to play this. Does anybody want to help? I don't know how it works with actual, like, tapping of stuff. Like, because, you know, it, it, when you play Magic, when you tap things, you can tap before or after, and it doesn't count as an action or something. Like, I don't know how that works with four people casting, but basically it's a super political card where if you're trying to team up and take out someone, you can be like, hey, can you spare four mana for me? Hey, can you spare two mana? And then, boom, I have a two mana, wipe everything. Or if you're yeah. actually winning... Uh, anyone want to help me wrath the board? Like, nope, sorry, it's an 8-mana wrath. <laughs> so it's a super political card, and this is what Commander is all about. So I'm super excited about this card. I love that you can be the, the guy or girl who plays, like, 30 lands in your deck and all these cards and just trust that you can beg your opponents into <laughs> spending their mana and you get to draw more cool cards because you don't have as many lands. <laughs> all right. Uh, next, we have the friend or foe mechanic. So, uh, Pierce, Whim, three in a green, sorcery. For each player, choose friend or foe. Each friend searches their library for a land card, puts it in the battlefield tap, then shuffles their library. Each foe sacrifices an artifact or enchantment they control. This cycle is going to make a lot of people really upset. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's awesome. Uh, it's so perfect for Commander. Uh, I just, I love this. I love the mechanic. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to play with. <laughs> Yeah, this uh, this reminds me of kind of like the conspiracy voting or something, where you find out who your allies and friends are very fast. So I really like this, and it's a four mana ramp. Uh, if you have one friend, it's it's two lands off four mana, so it's pretty good. But if you want to go totally group hug, or if you want to single someone out, uh, you can go ahead and do that. Like you got to turn one Sol Ring, sorry, no land for you. Uh, mana screwed here, have some land. I, I just love the political play with this card. Exactly. I, I the one thing that I didn't really like about the like the voting with conspiracy was that like you didn't really know where people stood most of the time. But with this, it's like you have to make it. This card is a statement, and everybody's going to know how you feel about them when you cast this card and make your choice. Yes, you literally have to be like you're my foe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last mechanic support. Not too exciting. We've seen it before. Uh, so shoulder to shoulder, two and a white, support to put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures, draw a card. Meh, I don't think we have seen any new support cards yet. I think they're yeah. all reprints. It's It makes sense with the theme. You can put stuff on your teammates' creatures to make them bigger. So I think it's a fine mechanic for the set, but I don't think it's like a classic mechanic by any means. I actually forgot that support was a thing until I saw these spoilers. Yeah, I'm not sure what it has to do with sports or battle bond, but I guess they needed it to balance things out. But it's interesting. I want to see some of the new cards with support, see what they actually do. They got to have, like, one that's a basketball team on the bench. You know, when someone, like, does something cool and they all jump up and they're like, ah, and holding each other back. Because <laughs> that's, that's support right there. <laughs> that's pretty good. All right. Uh, last, last card. It's a reprint, but it's a biggie. We have a doubling season reprint. What does this mean? Does this mean... Doubling season will be cheap and plentiful now. What what well, do we take for this? So a lot of people are going to think that similar to what happened with the master sets is it's not really going to affect the price a lot. But I want to tell you the story of a card called Show and Tell. 
that was $80 and then showed up in a $4 pack as opposed to the $10 Masters packs as a Mythic, and it's now only $15. So I suspect that this is also going to happen to doubling season because the difference between those $10 and $4 packs are pretty huge. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, that it is... It is a $4 pack, and we have seen that really take down prices before. On the other hand, this is, like, one of the very top casual cards and commander cards, just, like, period. So I think there's probably more demand for doubling season than something like Show and Tell, but I do think it will bring down the price, assuming that Battle Bond is pretty popular, and I actually think it will be, because Commander is so huge, and even if you have no interest in Two at a Giant, it looks like there's a lot of sweet, sweet Commander cards in this set. So I think it'll actually sell pretty well, and I expect that it will at least temporarily bring down the price. So I think it's one of those scenarios, watch the price, wait for it to come down, grab your copies for your Commander decks or whatever, and then if they don't reprint it for a couple years, it'll probably start creeping right back up in price because there's just such high demand for doubling season. Yeah, it's it's definitely possible that it settles in like the $40 or $50 range, but there's no way that it can sustain like the $60, $70, $80 that you see uh, that it is across the board right now. Yeah, I agree. I, and it'll probably drop down. I wouldn't be surprised if it dropped down even lower than that for uh, for a little while at least before it like climbs back up and stabilizes. All right, so those are all the spoilers uh, we wanted to cover. There are a couple new cards we haven't talked about, so you can check them on the site. There's also 12 reprints. They actually released a lot of cards today. So you can check out the uh, the lesser of the reprints. Uh, we, we covered the big one, Doubling Season, on the website as well. Yeah, I think the set has 58 new cards, something like that. But what were you going to say, Chris? So I think that there's a card that's been spoiled that has the potential to be completely busted in the older formats, and it's one that I want to keep my eye on. It is correctly a mythic, but amazing comeback. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Three and a black instant. If you and your partner would lose the game this turn, instead draw seven cards and your life total becomes one exile amazing comeback. Uh, I want to see when the gatherer um, rulings for this comes out. If this works, if you're playing it in 1v1. Oh, because this would... This would potentially combo with, like, Spoils of the Vault and other life loss type cards, right? To give you a... Yes. Yeah. I'm also interested to see if this is just, like, a shield that happens. So, like, what if what if I were to lose multiple times this turn? Does it just keep <laughs> drawing me seven cards and letting me stay at one? Like, how exactly does that work? That does sound pretty powerful. I hadn't even really thought about the the potential for competitive play for any of these cards, but... Wait, is that the exact Oracle, or is this the, the Japanese card that people have unofficially translated? Yes, the Japanese card that people have unofficially translated. So I, I'm, in, I'm interested to see what happens when we get like the exact Oracle text and what the rulings are for it. Because if, if you can play this in 1v1 and have it work, and even if it's only a one-shot thing, that has a lot of potential. Yeah, it seems like the general feeling, and again, this is all unofficial, is that it works once, but it does work in 1v1. But again, this is all people trying to translate and figure it out. So we'll have to wait for the gatherer update to really know for sure. Uh, so let's move on to fish mail while we still have a few minutes left. So Richard, what do we got this week as far as fish mail questions? All right. If you have any questions, send them to at mtggoldfish with the hashtag mtgfishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. Uh, Orlov31. Uh, this is hard. It's a video. Have you guys seen the Infinity Wars 
both of the or Infinity War's gatewatch crossover where someone took Infinity War's trailer and instead of the actual video footage, they just took a whole bunch of magic footage and made a very, very epic trailer. What's Infinity Wars? Oh my god, Seth. <laughs> I've actually seen it, and it's very epic, and I want to commend whoever made it, because it took so much time to get all of those animations and clip everything together. Uh, I would not have had the patience to create that. Yeah, it made me realize how epic the Gatewatch could have been, because basically Infinity Wars is the Gatewatch, but done correctly. So if Wizards <laughs> could somehow do this and get all their characters together in an epic fight, you know, you'd have Infinity Wars. So there is hope for the Gatewatch. There is hope for the Gatewatch. Uh, next question, John Tiffy. Seth, I've heard you ugh Hollow One a few times now. What are your top five decks you regret making more well-known? Oh, man. I don't regret playing Hollow One, because Hollow One, I mean, it, it gets a little obnoxious now. It's so explosive, but it was a sweet deck before it caught on and became one of the best decks in in Modern. I, I don't know if I regret playing any decks that I've played, honestly. Like... And also, uh, to be very clear, like, we played Hollow One early and played it on Budget Magic, but it's not like we created it. That kind of took on a life of its own. It was the Pro Tour that really made it into what it ended up being. So, I don't know. I don't regret playing any decks, although I do dislike losing to multiple Hollow Ones on turn one. All right. USA Forever 7, do you think Deathrender is modern playable? So, in case you don't know, <sighs> Deathrender is a four-mana... Equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and when equipped creature dies, you may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield and attach death render to it. So like a very slow show and tell or something to cheat your creatures into play. I mean, there are way more efficient ways to do that in modern. Yeah, as far as competitive, I don't think so. There's just better ways of going about it. Like, you might as well just throw the breach for one more mana and win right away or something. As far as, like, building around, though, I think you could build, like, a fun casual deck around it. It's a really cool effect, and it's repeatable since you can keep, like, sacrificing creatures and putting new ones into play. So I think it's worth building around, but I would not expect it to win any tournaments or anything. All right, no squid cakes. Two questions for you, Seth. You said Weezer used to be your favorite band. What's your favorite song and or album? And have you heard their most recent stuff? Unfortunately, I have heard their most recent stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I've, oh, no. I have not really liked Weezer since Pinkerton. I like their first two albums. And my favorite Weezer song is In the Garage, I think. Chris, what's your favorite band? Uh, my favorite band is actually Incubus. So that, I'm showing my age a bit there. But yeah, Incubus is my favorite song, or favorite band, and um, Make Yourself is my favorite song by Incubus. All right. What about you, Richard? I don't really listen to music, so I don't have a favorite yeah. band. No. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Like, no. Oh, no. The comments so, have just... <laughs> wait. When you go to the gym, you don't have on any music? Like, you gotta listen to something. No, usually I don't. And so, uh, sometimes I'll listen to podcasts, or I'll just listen to whatever, you know, today's hit radio, whatever, pop random stuff uh, but i don't really follow anything too right, closely I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna make and send you a playlist oh uh, what, what's worse <laughs> seth not watching marvel or me not listening to music <laughs> i don't know it seems pretty bad <laughs> yeah those are both kind of <laughs> all right next question q dig if the long-term goal is to eventually replace moto with arena do you think they'll add redemption uh no i think if anything 
Wizards is slowly and sneakily trying to phase out Redemption on Moto. Like, they know they can't just be like, ha, Redemption's done, because everyone would freak out. But they keep making little changes where they, like, lower the window and make it so there's less time to redeem sets, and stuff is often out of stock, and you can't redeem why it's out of stock. Uh, that might be a conspiracy theory, but there it is becoming less and less easy to redeem sets on Magic Online. So there's zero chance that'll ever happen on Arena because it's too real money economy-ish for what Wizards is going for with Arena, and I wouldn't be surprised if they end it on Magic Online at some point. I agree. Yeah, especially if they give out free stuff on Arena, then that means they have to give out free paper cards, and that would just crash everything. Uh, Jamora's gaming... Yeah, I'll, I'll, oh, go ahead, Chris. Uh, also, like, a redemption-style model doesn't work with the CCG-style model. Like, it needs to be a TCG-style model. It's like redemption's whole purpose is to give cards in the game some type of worth. All right. Jamora's Gaming. Hey, Richard, you mentioned that you'll be at GP Vegas. Would you be up for some Jund Mirror matches? Oh, boy, my favorite. Hour-long matches of magic. <laughs> of course. But should I cheat and pre-sideboard <laughs> for Jund Mirrors? That is the question. Speaking of Vegas, Chris... Are you going to GP Vegas? Uh, unfortunately, I am not. Sad face. I thought I thought we could meet in person. Yeah, I I wanted to try and make it happen, but it's just my wife's on, in her final year of grad school, and there's just way too much going on, so I have to put it off for this year. But I am going to try for next year. All right, looking forward to it. Robs and Collins. So the next great designer search challenge requires designing eight cards for a tribe. Uh, they have to select a tribe that is lacking support in Magic's history. What tribe would you choose? I'm going with Walls. That's not a tribe. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a creature type or something. Wait, no, no. It's changed to Defender. The defender is a creature type. But, wait, hmm. are, are the old cards no longer Walls with Defender? They're just... Isn't Defender a mechanic? Yeah. yeah. It doesn't say Defender on a, a wall, does it? Like in the... I want to say the, I want to say the majority of the, the Walls got errated to have actual creature types. Hmm. Well, my choice is frogs. <laughs> so, uh, so Yargle, Yargle can command a deck. Some, for some reason, the frogs <laughs> need to be black. Otherwise, it doesn't work. <laughs> hmm. I frogs is frogs is a good one. I want I want more Zubera. Zubera are cool, and there's only like seven of them in the entire game of Magic. So, return to Kamigawa. Give us more Zubera. Chris, what is um, what is your tribe choice for for support here? I like satyrs and centaur a lot, so probably probably one of those. I'm actually surprised we didn't get a lot of support for those tribes in Theros. We just have random creatures, but not any lords or cards to help those tribes out. Yeah, yeah, I, I really like the like the aesthetic and the the just the feel of like the satyrs and centaur from Theros and Ravnica. All right. King Garad, tinfoil hat question: Do you think Karn will be banned due to being in? Due to it being in almost every deck, the same thing could be said about Copter. Does Ballista not being banned mean there's nothing to worry about? So these colorless cards that are ubiquitous in Standard, do you think Card is going to get the axe at some point? Man, that is a tough one. I think it's way too early to even consider banning anything. The card's only been out like a month, so that's kind of... It's silly to really consider it at this point, but... Uh, it is the type of card that sometimes has that happen to. I think Walking Ballista 
maybe if it had another year and a half in standard, we'd have a conversation about it, but it's rotating soon enough that it's not really a thing. You just kind of ride it out. So I, I say wait and see. I think Karn is the most bannable card from Dominaria, but whether or not it ever gets to that point, I think we just got to see how Ravnica plays out in core sets and everything moving forward. So I think that Karn is way more egregious of this than Walking Ballista. Um, I think Ballista is just a good card that happens to be colorless, but it doesn't feel as ubiquitous as what I foresee the future for Karn being. That being said, um, I think the play design is pretty on top of things, and we're starting to get into the sets that they had a hand in. And I think that we would be more likely to see like cheap interactive removal that is limited to creatures and planeswalkers that can kill Karn before Karn getting banned. So I could see something like you know, a, a burn spell that does X damage to a creature or a planeswalker, and that X damage is like whatever Karn would be at if he started and, and, and plussed. So like two, two mana, you know, six damage to a non-flyer or a planeswalker, or just, just something like that. All right, next question. See what's on. Continuing last podcast discussion of Cavern Souls and Mutavault being too powerful for standard, what are your thoughts on Vile? It could be seen as a way to bring Tribal closer to Tier 1 status. Vile isn't, like, really necessarily a tribal card. I I think in standard, it is just, like, I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough it's one. It's probably too good, right? Probably. It cheats on a lot of mana. I think that's the bigger concern, is just how much it lets you cheat on mana compared to things being uncounterable. Yeah. I think that Cavern, although having cards like Field of Ruin really helps combat these types of things, I think that Cavern would be too good. I don't think that Mutavault would be too good. I think that that card is generally fine in standard. Um, uh, I think people have kind of a a bad remembrance of the goodness of Mutavault because of how it interacted with Packrat. Outside of Packrat, I think Mutavault was a fine card when it was in standard again. Um I think the vial would just be too good. Like cards that allow you to you know to cheat on upwards of ten mana over the course of a handful of turns just tend to be way too good. All right, Fatty five hundred. How much of an investment did it take on Magic Online to be able to make videos like you do? Seth, should we let out our dirty secret? Oh well, I don't even know it's a <laughs> secret. Knows, I say yeah. it's on the stream all the time. That thankfully now I can borrow cards. Uh, actually, though, for like the first year or so that I was making videos. I was kind of just doing it on my own out of my collection. And I have a pretty reasonable size collection from before I was ever making content or anything. So that definitely helps to, and oddly, it also helped that people tend to buy budget magic decks because then the price increases. So I would build a deck and play it. And then I would be able to sell it for about as much as I paid for it and then build another deck out of it. (laughs) That's pretty cool. That's a, that's a neat byproduct of doing the budget videos. Just kind of controlling your own destiny with the coolness and goodness of the cards. Noctis Bellator, how should Arena affect my deck building? I mean, being a best of one of, should I add some sideboard cards to my main deck? Jeez. It depends on the matchups you're trying to fight. Like, if you're really concerned about beating Mono Red or Blue White Control, I think there's an argument that you go a little bit that direction. I definitely have seen some, like, artifact and enchantment removal show up. You're more likely to see, like, Sorcerer's Spyglass in the main deck of some decks. So I think slightly, but I you don't want to go overboard and start running play sets of sideboard cards or anything, because then you're going to lose other matchups. I think that if a card is 
flexible and like not dead against any of the popular decks, then I don't see a reason why you shouldn't play it in your main deck. Um, it's also just like kind of reading like what you're playing against, right? So like if you happen to on that day be playing against a bunch of God Pharaoh's gift decks, I think it's perfectly reasonable to play something like Death Gorge Scavenger in your main deck, but I wouldn't play something like Crook of Condemnation. I think that's just because it's just because it's too narrow. That's that's a really great example. I was gonna say a card that I tend to play in my main decks on Arena that I don't in Standard as much is Doomfall. Doomfall gives you it's a card that like it's fine in your main deck, but if there's a tiebreaker, I tend to run it in my main decks on Arena when in Standard on Modo or in Paper, I would tend to put it in my sideboard. So I think like Death Gorge Scavenger, if it's a card that's pretty good anyway uh i think you can err on the side of putting in your main deck yeah i run duress main deck and it works out pretty well that's typically a card you wouldn't put in your main deck but it hits enough stuff from the big decks that uh it's worth running to to rip out a settle the wreckage or something uh so that's all our questions this week so thank you to everyone who sent them in if you have questions you can send them to the hashtag mdgfishmail and we'll try to get your questions on air and i think that brings us to the end of episode 173 of the mtg goldfish podcast so uh richard thanks for hanging out chris thank you so much for joining us uh it was a blast glad to have your voice in the discussion yeah anytime And thanks to everyone for listening. So we will be back next week to talk more magic, more Battlebond spoilers, Pro Tour coming up. So until then, have a wonderful week, and this is the crew signing out. 